My youngest brother likes hunting and trapping. He has a trapper's license that he recently got. He's always boasting about the cool things he catches. And I asked him what he thought about today's first reading, which talks about all of these wonderful savage animals lying down with their prey in a peaceful state. And he said, I don't really know what to make of that. Um, You know, it's not really the way things are. I don't know if you have ever heard the urban legend of Snuffy the Seal. Does that ring a bell with anyone? Uh, Snuffy was this cute little seal who washed up sick and dehydrated on the shore and was taken care of. They took him in and, and his story you know, made kind of a stir and people fell in love with Snuffy, the you know, fuzzy little seal. And uh, they took care of him and nursed him back to health and then they planned to release him back into the wild. So the famous newscast about Snuffy the seal starts with explaining that story and showing some nice images of him. He's nice and cute. And uh, brown little chubby seal with black spots. And then it cuts to the scene, uh, the scene that's live on the boat where they're gonna lower Snuffy back into the ocean, right? And they've got him hanging by this cable and in this little canvas thing, uh, you know, and you can see him wiggling around there in the distance. And the news reporter is standing surrounded by a bunch of kids who are wearing t-shirts that say, I love Snuffy on it with little hearts and stuff. And then, uh, and then she says, okay, now they're about to, to put Snuffy back into the ocean. And, uh, and the, the cable is lowering him down. And all of a sudden this huge great white shark jumps out of the ocean, right? And, and uh, someone jumps in front of the camera because they're all astonished at what's happening. So you don't really see what happens. But when the camera finally gets a shot of what's happening again, all you see is the torn shards of the tarp that used to be holding Snuffy, right? Um, I had to do some research on that because it wasn't actually true. It was just uh, an advertisement for, uh, for the History Channel's Shark Week. <laughs> and uh, someone in my community had thought that it was a true story before that, so we figured out the truth, right? It didn't actually happen. But, um, you know, the reality is that there still are animals out there who don't, who don't live in peace with their prey, and they're not all lying down peacefully together, like the prophet Isaiah says. So, what gives? I mean, what's the story here? Why does Isaiah prophesy that in the days to come, that's the way it's going to be? Well, I guess maybe we think that it's going to be uh, later on, right? At the same time, Christ has already come, and there isn't peace in the world yet. He says a lot of other things that we kind of hope would come with Christ. The poor uh, no longer being judged, uh, but receiving righteousness and equity for the meek. Um, so did Jesus come? Did he, did, he, did he come to change the world? Is he really changing the world? We know that he probably didn't come to actually change the vicious nature of certain animals and to make them all peaceful and to make them go against their nature. No. He came to change you and me. He came to change our hearts. The change that he really wants, the place where he really wants that kind of peace to reign is within us and in our relationships. You've got that beautiful text from St. Paul, which we read today, which talks about that, how we're called to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that we may say together with one voice, so that together with one voice, we may glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to live in harmony, and yet we don't. We don't live in harmony. Um, it's funny, speaking about sharks, I came across this uh, conflict management test that you do to find out what your conflict management type is. And with the different types, it has these different animals, right? So the person who's really wise is represented by an owl, and the person who likes to go and hide is represented by a turtle, and then there's the shark, you know? 
Um, I haven't actually taken the test yet, but I'm afraid of what it might be. <laughs> um, you know, if we still need conflict management tests, then uh, there's something still wrong with us, and Christ hasn't still, trans- still hasn't transformed the whole, the whole world. Um, it could seem like the coming of Christ has failed, that the world is still so messed up. Um, many of us can say that sometimes we still find a monster inside of us. Sometimes there's still that shark inside of us that comes out when we're triggered in the right way. There's still no peace. And alas, I preach this to myself. I'm the one who needs to change. I, I had this great conversation this week with a consecrated woman who uh, told me something similar. She said, people, when they meet me, they say, oh, you're such a nice person. It's so great talking to you because you're so friendly. And she's like, that's because you don't live with me. <laughs> and I say the same thing. You know, Three priests who live with me probably agree that I'm a shark. So... We need, we need conversion, we need change. We need Christ to transform our hearts. He wants to transform our hearts. Um, but it's not a complete failure. We know that Christ's coming is not a complete failure because we see in the lives of some people that Christ is able to really transform them, that he is able to overcome the shark inside in some people. Um, he's able even to overcome like their, their worst instincts. And I'm thinking about some of the saints who show us that ability of Christ to transform people completely on the inside. Um, There's the instinct of revenge and self-defense that makes us hate those who hurt us. How how would a a girl, a young woman, feel uh, towards her attacker if she was raped or abused? And yet there's examples like Maria Goretti, who who was attacked and uh, assaulted, sexually assaulted, and then stabbed when she refused. And, and how did she respond when she was laying on her deathbed, dying from the wounds of the stabbing? She said that she forgave him and wanted him to be with her in heaven. That is totally overcoming the, the natural instinct to hate those who hurt us. That's totally overcoming the, the shark inside that most of us would feel, the anger inside that most of us would feel in that circumstance. Or how about the instinct to, to stay safe and avoid danger? You have people like uh, St. Isaac Jogues, who was here in Canada, in this area, spreading the gospel. And he got captured by a tribe that, that was, was very vicious. They tormented him. They, they chewed off his fingers, his fingernails. They burned him and left him outside to freeze in the winter left him outside naked in the summer to be eaten by mosquitoes. And when he finally escaped, he finally escaped and got taken on a, on a ship back to France. He went to his superiors. He was a Jesuit, so his Jesuit superiors. He went to visit them, and they barely recognized him when he knocked on the door. I always get emotional when I tell the story. Because <laughs> he, he, then he went to his superiors, and he said, give me permission to go back to Canada and continue my work. He asked to go back. He asked to come back here to continue spreading the gospel, knowing that he was going to die. That is Christ transforming the heart. That is Christ overcoming, uh, overcoming that shark inside, that natural instinct. Christ is able to transform nature, to transform our fallen nature. So... I believe that that's the fulfillment. That's the fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesies. 
It's not talking about real animals. It's talking about the animals inside of us and how God can really change it. So how do you change? Jesus has come. He's here. Many of us are going to church. Many of us are even praying. And yet we don't see a a drastic change. You know, the polls of how Christians live versus how normal people live reveal the sad truth that in reality, Christians basically live the same way as everybody else. They commit the same faults. They do just about the same amounts of charity as everyone else, right? Christians need more transformation in our lives. How can we really change? Um, I believe that the greatest answer to how we can be transformed is through prayer, and I would say through contemplation. Let me ask this question. Uh, Do you have a prayer life? Maybe a lot of you uh, think, yeah, I have a prayer life. Maybe some of you think, um, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Maybe some of us feel a little bit of guilt because we, we don't have as much of a prayer life as we feel like we should. Maybe some people are like, well, that phrasing of that is kind of weird because I pray. I don't know what you mean by having a prayer life. Right? God wants us to go deeper in prayer. He wants us to be really transformed through prayer. And I would go so far as to say that that's the only way that we really can be transformed is through a life of prayer, through a, a, a prayer in our lives that doesn't just, isn't just limited to our, our moments when we recite prayers or when we go to Mass, that pervades our whole life. Um, a life of contemplation doesn't mean that we have to stop everything else and only pray. It doesn't mean that we have to have mystical experiences, even though it could include mystical experiences, right? That's not necessarily part of God's plan for each of us, right? Um, it doesn't mean that we just multiply more vocal prayers and pray rosary after rosary and then chaplet and then, and then you know, litanies and all kinds of things, right? And you might notice how we say that it's a prayer life. It's not just do you pray. It's something that fills up our whole life. It's something that fills our life with spirituality. No matter what you're doing, you begin praying, even in the midst of your daily activities. Little by little, what's going on in our soul becomes the number one thing in our lives, It becomes the thing that that takes first place in our lives. That's God's plan for us, where we pray constantly. St. Paul says, pray at all times. So what is contemplation? Sometimes we say, uh, I'm contemplating my options, you know, in common speech. Um, That's a different kind of contemplation. That kind of means considering or reasoning about or or even considering how I feel about something. Um, St. Ignatius of Loyola uses the word contemplation for Uh, imagining a scene where Jesus is there and you imagine yourself before Jesus and you kind of interact with Jesus through your imagination. I think there's a third meaning of contemplation which is a little bit deeper, which is the kind of prayer where we let God take over in our prayer, where our prayer becomes less active on the part of what we do and we allow God to be the one who's active in our prayer. That's the kind of prayer that we should be striving for. Um, Good images for contemplation are, um, this one is given by St. Therese of Lisieux, the the image of a surgeon who operates on someone by cutting them open, and usually the surgeon puts the person to sleep first. So the person during the surgery is completely inactive, isn't really doing anything, and yet something great is happening inside of them in in the hands of the surgeon. That's a great image for prayer, where God is the one who's doing something in you, You just have to put yourself in his hands and trust yourself to him and let him do it. And then another good image is eating. 
you know, a lot of times, a lot, a lot of our eating has to do with something active, where we go and we prepare our food, or we buy it, and we hold it in our hands, and then we take a bite and chew on it, right? But there's a big part of eating which involves something that we don't have to do consciously, which is uh, digestion. And you could even say the hunger, the hunger process, right? Where we feel the desire for food, right? God, in prayer, needs us to have those passive parts where he can work. And I think that hunger is a great image for contemplation, where we put ourselves in God's presence and we allow ourselves to grow in hunger for him, or to grow in thirst for him. That is the kind of prayer that transforms us. That's the kind of prayer that transforms our hearts and transforms our lives, because it transforms our hungers. It transforms our thirsts. It transforms our desires. It changes our instincts, our passions, our nature. So I just have a, three, a few points here. It wouldn't be very fair for me to give you, you know, all this to say that we need to pray in order to change ourselves and not give you any advice or any tips, right? So if you don't already pray daily, what can you do? Take this Advent, take a little bit of time each day to just start praying daily. I think that's the number one thing. I don't think you can really be a Christian if you're not spending any time in daily prayer. So pick up the Bible, you know, read it a little bit, try to talk to God about it, right? Or if it helps you to recite some prayers, do that. If you're already praying daily, but you want to try kind of a new step, um, consider praying in a spontaneous way, praying in a way that's kind of unstructured, praying in a way that is, is like just between you and God. Right? That's, that's hard for some people, and I think it's, it's worth challenging yourself to do it. So if you aren't already doing that, if you've never done it before, then I, I challenge you, this Advent, take like three to five minutes a day to just talk to God from your heart. Don't use something scripted. You know? I'll bet you if you had a friend and, you, and all, all you ever said to them was something scripted, something you're reading off a piece of paper, you probably wouldn't feel like it's a very close friendship. Right? So let's let our friendship with God become real by, by praying in a way that's spontaneous, that's heart-to-heart. And then thirdly, if, you're, if you've already been doing that for a little while, and you've never tried contemplative prayer, then try this. Take a few minutes each day to just be in the presence of God. Just sit there and activate your faith. Believe, I'm in the presence of God right now. And he's here with me. And he's kind of like that surgeon who's operating on me. And I believe that. And then, and then while you're doing that, exercise hunger and thirst for him. See if you can do it. See what happens. I find that when I sit down to do that, um, I, experience, I experience the desire for God. I experience the desire for him to come and work in me and do something in me. Now, friends, contemplation is the way to transformation. I, I invite you to, to give it a shot, to try it this Advent. Um, I'll just end with a quote from St. Francis de Sales. I don't have the exact quote here, but he says something along the lines of, um, there's no way that sin can coexist with a life of deep mental prayer, of deep contemplation. Either one or the other will stop. Either you'll continue praying and you'll stop sinning, or you'll stop praying and you'll continue sinning. So I really believe that confirms that prayer, deep prayer, is the way to transform ourselves, to overcome the the shark inside of us, and to let Christ's peace reign in our lives.